0: Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jamie Dixon. For more great content, visit klcmaine.com. Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass, verse one, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governor um, over Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife who was with child. So it was that While they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch of their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, that you will find a babe wrapped and in the cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And so it was that when the angels had gone away From them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled to those that were told to them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Um, you know, I, I wanna, we're, we're gonna come back to this in just a second. If you wanted to, you can go over to Isaiah 9. That's where we're really gonna hang out. Um, but I wanna, I wanna maybe just kind of pull some layers back on the birth of Jesus. And I said this in the in the first service, but man, we've done a pretty good job really Um, Romanticizing the story, making it kind of a a cartoon, and you know, it's it's just this sweet, subtle thing. But you know, shepherds in a field, literally terrified for their life, as an angel appears and the heavens are ripped open, and innumerable heavenly hosts appear. You know, and Jesus's life, a baby, is wanted for murder. You know what I mean? To to be murdered. And uh, how many guys know this is not a cartoon? This is a this is a profound story, and uh, I want to pull I want to pull the layers back just a little bit, um, but let me let me first present something. You know, I, I've been fascinated fascinated by this idea of alignment um, for 15 years. You'll find all my sermons come back to this is about about alignment and about being aligned to God's kingdom concepts. And um, it really started when um, I first heard a preacher by the name of Bill Johnson um, say one of the most simple things that now is just normal Christianity. It's everywhere. It's on our t-shirts. It's on everyone's t-shirts. It's on Christian apparel all over the world. But it's the most simple thought that I'd never understood before and the light bulb clicked. And it was this. He was talking about Um, you know, the Lord's Prayer. And he said, Jesus taught us to pray that his kingdom would come, his will would be done in the earth as it is in heaven. Now, we we know this, but he presented it a little different. He said, so is there cancer in heaven? And of course, no, there's no cancer in heaven. He goes, so then, Father, may it be according to your will in heaven. As it is in heaven, may there be no cancer on the earth. Is there addiction in heaven? No, there's no addiction in heaven. So, Father, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, that you would, as it is in heaven, that you would break addiction. And he's beginning to, you know, is there anger in heaven? Is there unforgiveness in heavens? Father, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And this thing, like when he started presenting all these questions, something that's like light bulb clicked and we, you know, I began to get just obsessed with the idea that Father, that, your, that heaven would invade the earth. But for me, it didn't just stop at those questions. It didn't stop at miracles and healings and you know, there's no pain, there's no sickness, there's no disease, there's no divorce in heaven. So Father, we pray, on earth as it is in heaven, you know, I, I love, I love those ideas, but I begin to even go further about idea of like aligning ourselves that God, it, what does worship sound like in heaven? God, may your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth. as is in heaven. May our worship sound like your worship. Started thinking about problems that we we're facing. And instead of just taking man's wisdom, I started thinking, what is, what is heaven doing in this situation? how does heaven respond to this we would sit together as leaders and you know we we you know uh, through the years of our building the church and um you know obviously you know pioneering and pastoring a church is loaded with problems you know it's loaded with these moments like what are we going to do how are we going to lead what what's next how do we respond to this and our, our questions start turning well what does heaven look like well how does heaven do this does, does is that what god is doing well I don't know, when I was, uh, um, you know, Grace Point Baptist Community Family Church, this is how we did it. And we started going, I don't want to do it like Grace Point Community Family Baptist Church. I, what's heaven doing? That kingdom come, that will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. I, maybe it breaks your common wisdom and knowledge about how, how humans do things. I don't want to do things how humans do things. I want to be aligned to heaven. And, and these, these questions that we're faced, I call these, you know, I mean, so we serve an upside down, inside out kingdom. Jesus said to be the first, you must become the last. If you want to live, you got to die. If you want to, uh, if you want to be great, become the least. If, if you want to uh, have an abundance, give it all away. I mean, of us know that that's incredibly polarizing to the concepts and the wisdom of the world. These realities are what I call kingdom concepts. Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're counter-cultural, biblical realities that require renewed minds to be entered into. You know, the world doesn't understand. You know, Christians come and we take an offering. People actually give money to a religious institution, you know, and they, and they lay their finances at the feet of Jesus as worship unto the Lord. And the world goes, what are you doing? That is ridiculous. You guys pay dues to be a part of a church. Well, no, it's worship. And they go, "What?" I mean, guys, no. It takes a renewed mind to enter into the kingdom concept of offering. It takes a renewed mind. You know, I I often try to put my my. my, Yeah, I I was born and raised in this. Guys, like the way we worship. This is how. This is what I grew up with. This is this is my normal. You know, and um, I oftentimes have to like take a moment to think about unbelievers coming into our church. In this church, you know, we sing, you know, um, all hail King Jesus, and people are like, "Blah!" freaking out, you know, and, and twirling and dancing, lifting their voice, and, and, and to us, we're, we're singing to what to the world is an imaginary being that we have just have faith and believe is, is real. Why are we singing songs to him, you know what I mean? And, and to the world, it seems crazy, but I'm telling you, it takes a renewed mind to understand the power of worship in these moments that we're not singing to an invisible space and to each other or to myself. That I'm singing directly into the face of Jesus, and that this is the greatest occupation of my life is to engage in this moment. It takes a renewed mind. They think I'm crazy, I think they're crazy. You know? (laughs) Kingdom concepts are, are things that require a renewed mind, they carry a divine seed in them, they carry miraculous power in their DNA. You know, when when you choose to forgive even when someone hasn't apologized, you got to understand that the fact that your apology came, or that your forgiveness came before their apology is not a human concept that is a, a kingdom concept and it actually releases supernatural breakthrough into a relational dynamic. Only God now can begin to soften the heart because you chose to do something in a kingdom way. Why? Because you're aligning your life to a kingdom concept and you're inviting on the earth as it is in heaven. Is this making sense? You have to think about the culture and the condition of the world around us, and you have to think about what you've been taught, you know, pass and fail through school. And if you do something wrong, you're arrested and there's punishment. Now, I I realize that in a society, all these things are very important and necessary, but listen, you know, punishment um, driven culture that may be required in secular culture is not necessarily a kingdom culture. And, and so for us to learn something in the condition of the world that we've lived in, you have to understand all of the culture of the world around us has actually been created and the architect of it is sinful nature. The desire to be famous and to be great, although that God wants to use your life to be great, the promotion of self and the process to become great is actually an appetite of the sinful nature. To hoard everything I have and to like, to each his own and every man for themselves and the loner thing and the, you know, how do guys know that this is actually part of the appetite of the sinful nature is all architected and created by the demonic, So then Jesus shows up and he says, oh, actually to become the great, you have to become the least. Oh, if you want to live, you got to die. Oh, you want to to have like wealth. How about you give everything away and then you allow me to be your provider? Do you know what he's doing? Jesus is not providing a new way. He's actually inviting us back to the original way that he created us to thrive and succeed. We were created to thrive and succeed. And so what he's doing is actually undoing the appetite of sin and the culture that the sinful nature actually created in society. And he's inviting us back to the original intent. Why? Because these are kingdom concepts that so we've been invited to align our life to, knowing that when we align our lives, power is released and a supernatural process begins to happen in our life. Why? Because we're doing it his way, not our way. Is, is this okay? So we start thinking on Earth as it is in Heaven. I'm thinking beyond cancer, guys. I'm thinking like, may we align our lives to live from a different reality? Okay, this is my introduction. Okay, <laughs> just intro introducing an idea. Um, and, and so now I want, now introduce the coming of Jesus into the earth. Now um, imagine this is the moment that's been prophesied from the garden. This is the central moment of all creation. From the beginning all the way to the end that has yet to happen, there's a central point, And the central point is the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the purpose of all creation. It says in, in John one, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It said that all things were created in him, by him, through him and for him everything in creation is centralized around the existence of the life of Jesus. Heaven and hell have taken an audience at the hinge of history. One theologian said the hinge of history was hung on the doorpost of a manger in Bethlehem. This is the moment where all of history is about to change, where, where, where God is about to make a way that salvation would no longer just belong to the Jews, but to you and I have no access to salvation without this moment in history. This, this, this is the moment that the power of sin is about to be broken off of humanity. This is the moment the reign of darkness is going to be shattered. This is the moment where the doorway into eternity is ripped off the hinges and billions of souls from multiple generations are about to come rushing into eternity. This is the moment that the covenant between God and man is about to be changed from punishment to grace, from distance to nearness. This is the moment that the Holy Spirit is re- getting ready to be welcomed into the heart of man for unbroken fellowship and union with you. How many of you guys know that the life of Jesus is a really, really big moment? This is a big deal, this is not a cartoon. This is not a fluffy story. This is the moment. That generations are about to be forever changed. Go to Isaiah 9. This is the moment that everything changes. Isaiah 8 is this whole prophecy of doom and destruction and pain and suffering. And then Isaiah 9 comes along and it shifts. And in verse 6, he's talking about all of a sudden, nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. And then verse 6 says, for unto us... A child is born, a son's been given. There's been 500 years of prophetic silence and darkness in Israel. Israel has been enslaved by Rome. Uh, We we have, uh, you know, we we have persecution going on. The the religious parties are now two ruling political parties. The doors of the temple are closed. There's so little prayer happening in Israel that actually has to highlight Anna as being one one of the few that are actually waiting and believing for the Messiah to come. We are in a dark moment in history for the nation of Israel. It says, and then a child is born, a son is given. Then, a child is born. You're meaning to tell me that God's agenda is to break the reign of darkness End the sin of man Change the covenant between God and man that, that all of these things that I just laid out Heaven and hell are watching All of the demons of hell have been resisting this moment Jesus' life is going to be wanted for you know, And to be murdered And, and, and thousands of generations are hinging on this moment And the wisdom of God is to send a baby He is not like me His wisdom is not like my wisdom. The way that he answers the problems are not the way that I answer problems. The way that I bring breakthrough and victory is not the way that he brings breakthrough and victory. He says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That word son literally means king. It means a a child king is about to be born. And this child is going to be born in the midst of scandals. To a... into the womb of an unwed woman? Will Jesus be appeared as an illegitimate child? He's about to be wanted, and he's going to have to flee for up to 12 years of his life, flee to Egypt, just to hide, to make sure that he's not killed. And then when he comes... He's going to be born in a manger with no onlooking eyes, with no fanfare, with no no loud, boisterous crowds around waiting. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. And Jesus is born into the dust of the earth. And then then angels come to confirm the word. Did they go to Kings? Kings? Did they, did they go to the, the most popular people to get the word out? Did he go to leaders of communities? And did, did he go to the religious leaders and say, hey, he's coming? Preach. The angel appears as shepherds. Right. What? He actually gets the message out through lowly shepherds in the fields, not to the kings of communities. And, and I, you know, I, I think about the way that Jesus came, and I start wondering, God's wisdom is outside of my demonically narrated idea of carnal wisdom. He, he has a way that is not my way. My, my question is, is, is no, no one had a grid for the way God would introduce him inside of the world? Do we have a grid for what His wisdom looks like in my life? What is he producing in the mangers of my life? In the dirty places of my life, what is he producing? If I'm looking for an answer, I don't don't know what the heck is wrong with us because we read the story of how Jesus came. Isaiah 53 says there's no beauty that we should behold him. There's no reason why we should even put up with him. He's like a dry, he's a root out of dry ground. That's what they call Jesus in Isaiah 53. Literally the the glory of his life is going to be his death. You know, kings are usually born with golden spoons in their mouths. Jesus is born in a manger. Uh, Kings are usually glorious warlords who everyone runs from and Jesus actually fleed for his life, and was a refugee in Egypt and then actually instead of telling people the war, he told them to turn the other cheek and give their tunic as well. Jesus' his glory was on his life. Kings' glory is in their life. Jesus' glory is in his death. Usually kings wear robes of scarlet. Jesus wore robes of his own bloody flesh. Usually they wear crowns of gold. Jesus' only crown would actually be a crown of thorns. Usually kings are declared kings kings from birth. Jesus is only declared a king in his death. And now I'm wondering, like, why do we think this story changes for some reason? Because we start going, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I start looking at breakthrough in my life and I'm going, it's going to be so good. I'm going to win the lottery. It's going to be all over the news. And you know, and all these glorious things are going to happen. And this is what breakthrough's going to look like. And it's going to show up on a knight in shining armor, riding in with trumpet blasts and angels. And everyone's going to be a witness of my breakthrough and all this stuff. And we look at the pattern in which Jesus always comes. And we think he's going to come differently now. And I want to know what's he doing in the manger of your life? Where is there something that's just in the most infant stages out of onlooking eyes? What's he producing? What's being birthed? What's being created? You're waiting for a breakthrough. I'm telling you, your breakthrough's coming, but are you celebrating its most infant stages in the dirty places of your life? We want to sterilize cartoon gospel. This is not that. You know? We want the big prophet to call us out in a meeting and call us out. What if he shows up and gives you a prophetic word through a shepherd? Yeah. He doesn't come the way that we, America has kind of like made him out to coming with our cartoons and stuff. He's, he's coming in a different way in your life. Do you have eyes to see it? God's wisdom shows up in a radically different way than what we're familiar with. And My question is, are we, are we actually celebrating his wisdom in the mangers of our life? says this and then the government will be upon his shoulders. You guys alright? Says the government will be upon his shoulders. Uh, I wanna I wanna present to you a thought that the government on his shoulders is not the American government. <laughs> It's actually not kings. It's not governors. It's not what this means. It's a direct reference to Isaiah 22, 22. It's loaded throughout scripture. And Isaiah 22 says the key of David will be laid upon his shoulder. Now why does it say that? Because the key of David was a master key. It was a key that was only given down the kingly generational uh, line from the reign of David. Then every king after him got the key of David. And the key of David unlocked the treasury of Israel and the hidden places to kings and if the when the king became king he was given the key of david the key of the kingdom later on jesus says in his resurrected state he says the keys of the kingdom be been given to me now go and make disciples of all nations or all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me go and make disciples of all nations and he says the keys of the kingdom are given to me now you go and says to peter and go build my church right And so the keys of the kingdom in Isaiah 22 were laid upon the shoulder of Jesus. And that was a picture of the government being laid upon his shoulders. So the scripture in Isaiah 9 says this. It says there's a, yeah, there's a unto us a child's been born, unto us a son's been given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Now we start going, well, what does it mean? What are the keys of the kingdom? What does that look like? What was the, when was the moment that Jesus was given the keys of the kingdom? Are you ready? The key of the kingdom that was laid upon the shoulder of Jesus was the cross of Jesus Christ. It was the seat of scorn. It was the it was the it was the the throne of dishonor was actually laid upon his shoulders where he carried our sin and our shame for us. This was the key of the kingdom that began to unlock the kingdom for you and I. And so that we understand that the authority Jesus purchased authority through the doorway of life. That authority was given to him in death and extended to you and I in new life, in resurrection life. And so, you know, when we look at the government will be upon his shoulders. We start thinking, that's right. The kings will be under him. Yeah, there's a day coming where kings will be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's right. But the government has already been laid on his shoulders and it was laid on his shoulders in death. So here's my question for us. Are we looking at the places that feel like we We are dying as setbacks or as wombs of breakthrough authority in new life. Because if authority comes through death, I want to know where are you dying? Because that's the place where His government will be established, His kingly authority over your life will be established in the place where you come to die. (laughs) What a great Christmas message! Are we seeing this thing rightly? Have you refined your understanding to realize that authority and power is produced through death and not self-preservation? Have you begun to see where the places you feel like you're dying are actually doorways to life and victory? If you saw this rightly, you know, we're praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as in heaven, what if the answer is that you would lay your life on the cross and your flesh would die and your trust would come alive in him? And then you start aligning your life to kingdom concepts. You know, we start denying our flesh, not preserving our flesh. And we start going, this is the way of wisdom. This is the way of, of his leadership. This is the way where heaven comes to earth. It's the place where I die, he comes alive, and I am resurrected from a totally new place of understanding. And then it says this, his name will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, mind you, this is a very normal statement for any king child. For a king child in Egypt would have been given an epithet. And and what that is is a series of titles that declare the attributes of his kingdom. And so, say a, a king of Egypt becomes king, and they would say, "This is King Arnold, uh, very Egyptian name, <laughs> and, um, and King Arnold, King Darius, King King something, and and uh, and he is, uh, uh, and he is the lion-hearted beast slayer, right? And that would be the the epithet of his name: strong warrior, um, leader of nations." Wealthy father. These kind of epithets would be attached and they'd become attributes of the kingdom so that everybody actually understood who he was and how he led. Does that make sense? And when so when it says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son, is gi- a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulders. We understand we're talking about a child who was born to die, whose glory will be in his death, and he will be called a uh, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Jesus said, he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. He said, I am the bread that's come down from heaven. And he also said, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from my mouth. Jesus became living bread and the living bread is his life revelation of the father a people who did not know the father began to become aware of who the father was through the life of Jesus and his life became a feasting table of revelation where we would come and feast off his words and in that we would know the father is this too deep you guys all right You're just like, dude, I was at L. Bean till 11 last night. I am tired. I got to go finish my Christmas. You guys done with your Christmas shopping? No? Okay. God help you. Um, I'm not done either. Uh, No, not even close. I just told you, yours is late. Um, (laughs) His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. My question is, are you withholding your praise for materialistic breakthrough? Or are you feasting on the revealed nature of God in unsuspecting places? You're walking through something right now. Man, Christmas is so intense, man. It is one of the highest rates of suicide, depression, anxiety. Um, I've heard somebody say, as a pastor, you do more pastoral counsel in December than you do from January to November lives are struggling, people are feeling overwhelmed, the, the economy, two global wars, mental health struggles, reeling from loss of the past year, these, these large events going on where it might be the first Christmas without somebody in your life, whatever that thing is, it creates such a boiling pot of anxiety. And I'm asking you right now that in the place where you feel like it's, it's difficult, the place that feels like a dirty manger where God is birthing something, are you, are you recognizing that in unsuspecting places that he's a wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, prince of peace? Are you feasting off of the meal that's being laid before you that you can actually feast on the nature of God in hard and difficult seasons of your life? And then it says this, you guys are right? Then it says this, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order, establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward even forever. I'd love to break this down verse by verse, but I'm gonna, I wanna get to this last point. From that time forward even forever for the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Whatever's going on in your life, God will perform His will in your life through everything going on. That word "zeal" my, it was one of my favorite words in the whole Bible because that word "zeal" is translated as a jealous, passionately jealous husband for his bride. And when it says. And I'm bringing my son. He's going to lay down his life for you. And his glory is going to be his death and not his life. And he's, I'm going to use his life to become a table of feasting on the revelation of who I am. And, and, his, his, and I'm going to lay my authority on him through death. And I'm going to bring him back to life so that I can have every one of you. He's going to tear the veil. And, he's, and all of heaven and earth are, and, and hell are going to be witnesses to his breakthrough. Unto us a child is born. It is the zeal of the Lord who does this. It is the jealous love of the father who's after his reward. What is his reward? You are his reward. What's God after? He's after you. Why did the father send his son? Because he's jealous for you. Because without giving his son, he'd never have you. Why was his son destined to spill his blood? Because of you. Why why did he have to break the power of sin? For you. Why did he have to tear the doorways off of eternity to welcome the onslaught of souls that come rushing in? For you. Why did he have to change the law from judgment to grace? He changed the law to have you because he's a jealous God. And you are the reward. You're the prize. Now I don't I don't mean to be cheesy, but Happy birthday Jesus. I am your gift. I'm the gift. You're the gift. You're the one he's after. I don't I don't know about materialistic anxieties and worries and stresses and pains and difficulties and it's not I don't want to minimize it to material it's, it's just temporal it's just temporal things that cause so much anxiety depression, but my prayer is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as is in heaven. I don't wanna see all of these troubles through my lens that's been created by my sinful appetite and my needs and my wants and my flesh. I wanna see this season through the lens of what you're actually after, that's me. Amen. You're after me, you're after my heart. You want all of me and the zeal of the Lord will show up in all the mangers of my life to have Me. Why don't you guys stand with me?